0: Luister naar SA radio. radio, neem
1: ons toekomst terug. Het is juist dat. Het is juist dat. is jouw naast. Het is jouw nasie, jouw, jouw nummer is I- Goeiedag, luisteraars, en welkom bij SA IK Radio. Mijn naam is Don en ik heb besluit om dit programma te doen omdat daar iets baie inzeggevend onlangs in Toria gebeur het. Dit bewys iets wat ik lang zei: dat ons als volk moet saamtrek en veg. of anders gaan ons vrek, soos dieren. Zwartplakkers het ontrek na blanke saamgestaan het en opgestaan het en teruggevecht in Esa sy eerste rechte raasgevech in moderne tye onlangs een Daspoort in Pretoria. Ek het al vir gesê dat de enigste manier vir Blankes en Esa om onzelf te verdedig, hunzelf te onderhou en zelf voldoende te kan leven, en al cultuur en erfenis te bewaar en bevorder is as hulle visies naar diezelfde dorpen of bier te trek. Kom ons maak dit duidelik. wanneer ek sê saam trek, bedoel ik niet ons moet saam stem of saam staan of oor als diezelfde opinie niet. nie. Ek bedoel ons moet visies naar lokale trek waar ons met volksgenote kan leven om ons krachten samen te span, om onszelf te verdedigen, te zorg in ons eigen gemeenschappelijke samenleving op te stel. Daar is geen maar geen manier hoe die blanke volk kan oorleef in zuid afrika as hulle aanhouden om uitgesprei in oral oor die land te woon. Natuurlijk tel dit niet liberale blankes niet wat al klaar aangegeerd en die onvermijdelijke zwart toekomst aanvaar en hul cultuur, erfnis herkom en ras al weggegooi en verraai het. Ons het bewijs van hierdie gesin in die onlangse tussengeveg in Dasburg Pretoria toe blanke inwoners gatvol geraak het en die zwartes aangeval het en probeer het om die zwartplakkers se heise of hutte af te breek. Na hierdie gevecht het helft van hierdie swartes vrywillig pad gegee en die kamp verlaat. Ons speel hierna een opname waar die geval in diepte bespreekt wordt. Ons is een volk wordt van beskaving, goeie gedrag en vrede hou, maar speciaal van die van ons wat in stede woen, gaan intimidatie, agressie en gevechten meer en meer alledags word. Als jy in een stad moet woon, soos bijvoorbeeld ons boerenstad Pretoria, consolideert ten minste in die bierte. Ek de kaart van Pretoria aangeheg, wat die delen waar blankes in die meerderheid is, samen met die hierdie berug op saik.co.za opgeleid. Hierdie type informatie wordt as pres dier die onderdrukkers en volksmoordenaars versteek. Hier is een paar wenken voor volksveiligheid, want ons allemaal in gedachte kan hou. Eerst ons volksgenote, vooral eenders denkende volksgenote, moet op groot schaal begin consolideer, die toenemende misdaad en die volksmoord in ons land vereist dit van ons. Woon en werk nader aan mede volksgenote. Woon en werk verder van volksvreemdes. Wees de alleteie paraat en stig bierwachte. Skip groepe op WhatsApp onder familie en vriende, onder bieren, onder kerkgroepen en ander onder hulpgroepen. Leer ken die volksvriendelike en wees bewust van hulle behoeftes en problemen. Rooi armoede, sociale problemen en maatschappelijke problemen uit dier in volksvreemde biere in jou belang te stel. Skep cultuurgroepen en moedig volksgenote aan om jou taal en cultuur te bewaren en te vertroetel. Dit is bewijs dat moedertaal onderwijs die beste resultaten lever en denk daaran om je kinders uit te neem en zelfs om bij die huist onderwijs te gee. Daar is baie ondersteuningsgroepen en maatschappijen hiervoor wees trots op je herkomst. Daar is natuurlijk veel meer om bij hierdie lysie bij te voegen, maar booggenoemde is belangrijk. Onthou luisteraars, dat die voortrekkers plaatsen en bezigheden en aan familie enzovoors achtergelaten, het toe hulle die vreemde ingetrek het. Dit is ons voorvaders die, en die moed en murg is nog in ons bloed. Moet dit eerst gegiet word voor ons besef ons moet laag trek? Doe navorsing en vrouwvolksgenoten waar goede plekke is plekken was Oorigstad, Leidenburg, Stelleland, Pretoria en natuurlijk die Kaap, waar ons geskietkende geseggenskap sterk is, is waar ons moet consolideer. Dorpen en Kaapland waar die Afrikaner cultuur sterk staan is Orania, en nabij Orania is van der Kloof met een mooie uitsig oor die dam op die Orania rivier, Kersbosstrand, Twas Kerstbos, Veldrift, Aurora, Orore, Witstrand, Witsand, Stilbaai, Hartenbos, Wilderness, Sedgefield, Nature's Valley, Keerboomstrand, Jeffreys Bay en inderdaad die hele Zuidkaap is een goede bestemming. Hierdie die geniet een redelike mate van veiligheid en daar woon reeds een groot presentatie van volksgenote. Versterk hulle die er met hulle te vereenig, eerder als om na volksvreemdige gemeenskappe waar midstaat veel meer is te verhuis. Ek het laas jaar die story ontbloed dat daar meer as 5000 dorpen is waar meer as 5000 Bantu woon in 100% ras echte gemeenskapte, geen breiners, indiers of blankes nie. Dit is 10% van die zwarte bevolking. Als slechts 10% van die blankes in soortgelijke beheerde kan woon, zal ons zonder twijfel ons eigen toekomst in veiligheid kan bewerkstellig. Natuurlijk moet ons ook die regime verhoed om ons stembier te, te manipuleren. Die groot visrevere kan als vertrekpunt gebruikt word. Voor 1770 het geen Europere man al ontmoet nie. Dus noordelis van die visrevere is vir mij zwart gebied. en west daar vandaan is wit en bruin gebied. Die visrevere mond op 33.3 grade syd. En nog een ding, skakel asseblief die televisie af. NASPERS, DSTW en SABC is ons vijande. Hulle den die masse zwart mark eerste vir hulle geld en werk hard om ware diversiteit te vernietig en die sogenoemde onvermijdelijke brein toekomst en werkelijkheid te maak die alle volken, alle talen, alle culturen, alle godsdiensten, alle kerken en alle rassen in een in te smelt. Inderdaad, hulle is boerse volksmoordenaars en wereldoorheersers en moet gestopt worden. Geen volk kan verwacht dat een ander volk naar hulle media en cultuur moet zorg. Dit is juist waarom ek SAIK begin het, eerst als een protest tegen wat SABC doen aan ons taal en cultuur, en ook om als een volksvriendelijke platform voor ons mensen te wees vir hulle om te gebruik. So raak asjeblief betrokken en dra bij. Contact voor mij op nis bij saik.co.za Ons gaan er luisteren een onderhoud tussen Jan en Alex, wat de volksvechter van Amerika is, oor die geval wat in dasville, Pretoria, zo so twee weken terug het. Die potgooi van hierdie programma zal ook beschikbaar wees op ons webwerp bij saik.co.za Luister naar S i k Radio. Neem ons toekomst terug. Finally, oppressed white men and women in South Africa start protesting, burning tires, throwing stones and fighting back. This recent battle in Pretoria where a mob of white men and women fought back against hundreds of black squatters who the ANC regime and DA were forcefully resettling near the mostly white suburb of Dasburt appears to be the first occasion where the polarisation and race-baiting by the ANC regime and DA has brought normal citizens to boiling point in a possible first race war battle in modern times. There was apparently one fatality on each side and a few people were injured, some seriously. Jan went to the scene of the battle, 8 days after it had happened, and spoke to eyewitnesses and took photos. Alex and Jan discussed the information he uncovered during the battle. Whites were calling extensively for reinforcements hoping the thousands of whites with guns would arrive. The blacks had also bust in 30 taxi loads of reinforcements. There were gunshots fired on both sides and at least one person died on either side. Let's listen to Alex and Jan.
0: Okay, hello people, this is Alex Linder, I'm with Team White, and today we're going to do a follow-up on whatever the heck is going on in Pretoria with Jan from South Africa, and Jan, okay, you there? Hi there, Alex. Ah, good, to, good to talk to you. Now, I hear that after our last, our first, I should say, recording on Pretoria and the battle, the, the Godfold battle, Yes. Uh, You actually said you were going to go up there. Did you indeed go up there, and what did you find if you did?
2: Alex, I went there on Saturday. I went there on Saturday afternoon, and I went and visited the people who were involved, and I spoke to two of the people who were physically involved in the fighting. And in the one case, I met a husband and his wife, his white wife who had been throwing rocks, she was there with their baby in the pram, and she said she's doing this for her children. And yeah, it was quite that's a awesome.
0: story. That is, that is absolutely incredible. So in South Africa today, we have whites who have babies in prams, or that's a stroller for you Americans And they are throwing rocks at these people who are trying to wipe them out. Whites finally coming together and fighting. That's what's going on there. What what did you pick up that you didn't get from uh, knowing about it from afar?
2: Okay, Alex. It turned out that there were quite a few things that I said that weren't quite accurate. And then once I went there, I'll also take some of the pictures that I put out last time. Because now I can actually show you what was happening where and I've got a much better sense of what actually went on. This thing was very violent. And just to let you know, the other day, I think about two days ago, the one young white guy that had been chopped with the panga, he passed away this week. John,
0: how many Americans do you think know what a panga is?
2: Ah, that's a good point. A panga is a machete. A machete. I think now that's what, the so term you use.
0: Let's, let's say for American audiences, there may be at least two or two that I've heard of unique weapons to South Africa. Or maybe they're African things, but a, a, a shambok and a panga. Okay. So a panga is like what they call a machete in South, South America. And a, a shambok is like you said, like a whip last time.
2: Yes, it's a, it's a heavy whip.
0: Yeah. Now Jan let me let me give a brief little review here. Now Pretoria is the capital of South Africa. There's a few hundred thousand whites who live there. There's maybe 700,000 or maybe a couple million. Wikipedia seem to disagree uh, in the in the larger area. And what we're talking about concerns a battle between a few hundred blacks and whites and maybe this is something Jan will correct if it's wrong, but it's a dispute over land. The black government is moving in. Remember, whites are 9% of the whole population of of South Africa. But they're a comparatively large percentage verging on 35, 40, even up near 50 percent, at least of the proper city of Pretoria. And the black government is moving blacks into an area that's very near to the white area. And, of course, they're causing their usual problems. And the whites are so angered over inability to resolve this dispute peacefully and politically over months that it's taken to open battle and that's what we talked about in our first video on this and now jan is actually as he said he would gone up there and talked to people and now he's given us the report so what precisely was wrong in the first report it wasn't quite accurate that you wanted to to clear up
2: yeah there are quite a few things alex it turned out there is a little bit of politics, and we just need to be careful as to who's talking more nonsense than the other. In South Africa, the ruling party is the ANC. Now, the Jewish-controlled opposition. The Jews actually were heavily involved in the ANC. But, Alex, the Jews swap sides, and they back both sides, and they'll be helping the one side while they're busy plotting to help someone else beat the first lot. They are so busy in so many ways. So it gets quite chaotic, but it's also maybe a bit of a good insight into how the Jews actually operate. So the the African National Congress of Nelson Mandela was the original thing the Jews backed in South Africa. And they were very happy to have... This guy, when he started fighting whites violently, so they liked that a lot. But then what they did, the the white Jews, because to us they were whites, we saw them as whites. These Jews, while they're sitting in their upper class suburbs, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in South Africa, the way the Jews and the blacks operate is somewhat different to America. There are people who tell me that in New York you'll find the blacks and the Jews living in similar areas and rubbing shoulders, but in South Africa it doesn't work that way. The Jews of South Africa are very rich and you'll never see the Jews of South Africa under apartheid ever associating with the blacks in the townships or living near them or anything like that. So these upper class stinking rich Jews would be living in Johannesburg and they would be acting as upper class citizens under apartheid as whites. So they formed another political party that was composed of Jews and all the English speakers that they could convince about liberalism. And that political party, it had several name changes during its life in typical Jewish fashion, but it was run almost exclusively by Jews until recently. Now, that political party is called the DA, the Democratic Alliance. So that is the vehicle of the Jews that is now also fighting the ANC. So they helped the ANC to get into power, but from my understanding... The blacks themselves started pushing the Jews out of the ANC. So now the Jews have moved in completely behind the DA. And that's now the multiracial, multicultural, "quotes" liberal vehicle that is fighting the ANC. And it's got all the backing of the media and the international community and all that. So what's happened in the last year in South Africa? is that the DA has finally managed to make some inroads in the elections, in the, in the local elections in Johannesburg and Pretoria. And for the first time in 20 years, some of these ANC people have been kicked out. So what happened in Pretoria was that apparently the DA took over that area, but just before they took it over, the blacks of the ANC brought in these extra blacks to that area, where this fight took place. So the DA now says they didn't cause the problem, and now it's also whites who voted for the DA councillor, who's a, a white Afrikaner there, and so that DA councillor was also now trying to stop the fighting and telling the whites. Don't fight. I promise you I'm going to sort this problem out over the next two to three weeks. And that was part of the many hassles and things that went on there. So that is one of the reasons why the whites have kind of laid off. But they are waiting to see if those blacks are going to be removed. Because if not, they're very angry. So that's a bit of a political twist there.
0: So so this is this is what you get, where you allow Jews essentially to take over a country via black revolutionaries and reduce your percentage of the population, make it so unattractive that a million of your, you know, five or six million, one or two million of them leave the country. Then you're down to maybe four, four plus million. And you're having to deal with these Jews backing these various horses. Well, they... It's similar to in the US, the, Jew, the Jews created the NAACP, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and they used their group to destroy the black nationalism, the Back to Africa movement personified and created by one man, a Jamaican come to America called Marcus Garvey. They destroyed that, and they destroyed this self-help movement of Booker T. Washington, because they wanted blacks to be politicized and pursue only one policy, a litigation strategy of integration to force blacks among whites to destroy whites. But integration wasn't any better for blacks than it was for whites. But the Jew money created the NAACP and kept it alive through the Depression in order to use it as a revolutionary tool to destroy blacks and deny them any economic Uh, strength that they would have from ethnic solidarity, which is the way that the Jews climbed to the top of American society. So Jews want nationalism for themselves and a wall for themselves and racialism and Nazism for themselves, but they don't want any other race to have that. They want all the other races to be mixed and messed up. And what we're seeing in South Africa is one application of that philosophy. So you're saying they create or they fund or they supply the training and the techniques and the money through people like Lithuanian Jew Joe Slovo and Ronnie Kasbriels, to empower the ANC to take over the country. And that's what you meant by 20 years ago, 2004. Or I'm sorry, 1994, the ANC and Mandela, they promote all that and they take over. And then essentially job number one, the main task, the main revolutionary task is then the aftermath or 23 years later into the aftermath. And the rump whites remaining there, must struggle for their very physical existence, and you're you talking about some of the uh, political changes happening now. There's another rise of the democratic alternative. So Jews are always behind all the different horses; they always bet on all horses. <clears throat> yes, it's Aryans who only bet on one. <clears throat> yes,
2: and and in the case of the DA, well, it was run by, let's call it white Jews all its time. It's only in the last two years that they've now put a black face on it. But when my Jewish pal and I used to talk back in 2011, he'd already been telling me then that the Jews are looking for a black. They're going to put a black in charge. So then the black comes to the front. In this case, they found a black Christian with a white wife. We're not sure if she's white or if she's Jewish as well. But anyway, he's now the front man for the DA. But, of course, behind okay. the scenes, the Jews are still there, full on.
0: Well, Jan, how did the people that you talked to up there see this unfolding? You said that right now there's a politician who's saying, look, <laughs> just give me a little time and I'm going to smooth this over. What, what do the people you talked to see okay. as likeliest to happen?
2: What actually took place... Is this thing that led to the battle. The whole battle itself was stretched out over a period of three days. It started on the Thursday morning already. There were whites who started seeing that they were bringing in these extra blacks. And the whites were getting irritated. Now the guy I spoke to, he said to me that he'd been at work during the day. And when he got home in the evening, he then joined the other whites. So already the anger and the, the, the anger was already building up on the Thursday into the night. And it continued during the Friday, but it burst into full-blown fighting on the Friday. On the Friday evening, that's when the whole thing just exploded into real violence. And this thing could have become an actual slaughter because it's very clear from the discussions I had with him, as well as the pictures that I was given. In those photographs, you can see the, the police vehicle with the water cannon. You can see the other armored vehicles that came. You can see there were policemen with weapons. And during this fight, this fight was very violent. It was very violent. And it wasn't quite a single battle. There, there were so many people milling around this place that there were groups of whites doing things. And as the tensions rose and the politicians were there, the police were brought in. So during all this time, the police started coming in because they could see huge things are, a huge thing is going to go down here. Some of the numbers the guy gave me are open to question. I can't verify exactly whether he, whether his numbers are correct. He claimed that there were 10,000 police there. He did say that they were bringing police into Pretoria from as far afield as Johannesburg. So it's very possible that there were hundreds, maybe even thousands of police all over. And... Hmm. It might even be that they were at multiple places, because this thing was expanding to such a degree that the whites were starting to call in for reinforcements, and there were other whites who were on their way. So, whether people were stopped or blocked, and where exactly all the police were, I don't know, but it does appear as if a huge operation did take place, which may have prevented bloodshed that would have been 20 times worse than what actually took place. But even what actually took place was bad. And the police were there all the time when these groups were busy fighting. Because it seems that the way... You must understand that in South Africa, in South Africa... They do, everybody is busy talking and negotiating, so that's how the stuff starts. So these people will be going and talking to each other and then they start shouting at each other, screaming, the police come in, the politicians come in, now they try to make everyone happy. So there's lots and lots of talking, but this talking may carry on for hours and hours and and lead nowhere and then the people will get irritated. So that is what seems to have been taking place all the time, is that the whites would then go and talk, the police would be there, they'd be negotiating, then people get angry, then the whites go off somewhere, they gather together, they hold a separate meeting, they call their councillor, they talk, promises are made, whatever, then they go back again. So this carried on for hours and days, but then during this process – This is when violence, physical violence, broke out at many points. And from what I can see, the violence took all sorts of forms. One form of it was when the whites and the blacks were physically fighting, standing, where the whites were trying to get to the squatters' shacks. And the whites were going to try and break it down. They were physically going to break down the blacks' homes, these squatters, these shacks that they'd put up overnight, the whites were going to physically break them down and chase the blacks out. And then the police would come with their water cannons and various things and stop the whites. So this is the nature of the battle, a very confused thing. But also there were whites in groups all over the show and blacks in groups. Now some of these smaller groups were running around and they were engaging in other fights. And from what I could pick up, there were whites who were bashing up cars. They were doing all the things that blacks do routinely. So just remember, in terms of context, this is the first time in the history of South Africa that whites have broken things and adopted black tactics. Blacks have done this at least 10,000 times. I'm not... I'm not exaggerating when I say they've done it at least 10,000 times, maybe 20,000 times over the last 30 years. Blacks have been protesting and breaking and setting things on fire, chucking half bricks. They don't just chuck little rocks, Alex. They're not like they pick up a little golf ball sized rock. They pick up half a brick. The half-bricks seems to be some of their main weapons. They pick up half-bricks and they're chucking these things. You get hit on the head by a half-brick, it could kill you. So that is the nature of the violence that the blacks have engaged in on much larger scale than this. Okay.
0: How many people did the ANC bring in and build squatter, huts (laughs) for? How many people are we talking about, roughly?
2: Alex, the, the physical area is actually not big. When I was there and I looked at it, the blacks are living right next to each other, literally on top of one another. So there are lots of people in, in small small shacks and containers and stuff like that. So the full number of blacks present was about 400. But it seems that, I'd, I'd say as best I can guess, that maybe about 100 to 150 new blacks had been brought in. And it was these new blacks that these whites were objecting to because this land, the place where this happened, is actually a piece of land that used to belong to a white guy. This white guy ended up going to prison or something like that. And at a point the state seized his house and the property around his house. So it's not a big area and it's next to a business that sells second-hand cars. So these blacks are actually stuck on a property that used to be owned by a white guy. But that is now, quotes, state property. But now the problem for the whites is that this is right next to a main road and it's right next to their suburb. So I walked about four or five blocks from the house of this one guy to get to the place where the fighting took place. So that is the actual location. And the whites were trying to attack... And destroy the new shacks that the blacks were putting up. They were going to okay. physically break them down.
0: I I got you, but yeah. And how, how big is this property? What a few acres or hundred acres of no, football it's field very size small. or how it's, big?
2: It's very small. I would say that the actual area you're looking at is maybe three hundred, maybe two to three hundred meters square. So it's actually a small area. You could say the frontage is about 300 meters along the one side and about 150 meters on the other side. So it's a quite a small place, but there's 400 blacks okay. living in that area.
0: And so when they're living there, it goes beyond just being an eyesore. They're afraid what blacks are going to do all the things that blacks do that whites don't like from that area? Or do they have specific fears about these new squatters?
2: They have already said that the presence of these blacks had been increasing crime there. They were saying that the blacks were doing drugs and selling drugs from that area. They just couldn't figure out which of those shacks is where the drug dealing was taking place. So they had the main thing that irritated them was the surge in crime because the blacks who came before these new ones, those blacks have been there for about six months. That's how I understood it. So this buildup of 400 blacks in this area, this has taken place over about six months. And this is just now the latest batch to arrive. And these whites have seen there's lots of problems because those those blacks that are there are already causing crime and problems for the area. So that's already ticking them off. And now they're seeing more coming in. So that... That was what triggered it. Jan?
0: Okay. Now, now we're getting a good factual description of what's going on. Now, does this area of Pretoria, this, what's the way to think of it as a section or area or district or a neighborhood suburb? or does it a suburb and does it have a particular name?
2: My understanding is that the area is called Dasport, Daspoort. D a s p o o r t. And they talk a lot about Bremer Street. The main road through this area was Bremer Street. And the blacks who'd been moved there had themselves been protesting for months. They themselves had been blockading the street and burning tires and engaging in violence and protests for months before. So what happened on the Friday was, was a buildup of A lot of things that began months ago and that the whites tried to resolve peacefully. The whites followed all the rules. They followed all the processes and all the rules. And they had gone to the police. They had gone to to their representatives. They had gone to the municipality. And all of that had failed. And now the ANC had brought even more blacks in. So that's when these whites said, "No, no, no! This is this is nonsense. This has got to come to an end."
0: Oh, okay. So, so Bramer Street is kind of the artery that leads into this white yes. section of of Darsport, and they're like, "Geez, you're bringing in these blacks. There are there's already criminal from the ones who've been here, the few hundred for six months, and now you're bringing in hundred." more between days and uh, they're they're going to sell drugs and harass our kids or whatever i don't know if that's how it is there like it is here but and they're so angry and whites try to do everything legally and buy the book and it doesn't matter when you're dealing with these low iq blacks who are violence is their books their way of settling disputes
2: yes and alex just to give more context this group of blacks are right close to where the whites live. They're like three or four blocks away from their houses. Now, just a few kilometers away is another settlement of blacks. It's a squatter camp, it's an illegal squatter camp on the side of a hill. And there are something like six to seven thousand blacks living there. Those six to seven thousand blacks have also been busy with drugs and attacking the, the farmers who are on small plots of land outside, outside Pretoria. Because you're moving, Daspoort is like on the edge of Pretoria and then you're moving into the countryside. Now those blacks have been attacking people who are living out on the small plots and on the fringes and there's lots of crime coming from that too, but that's at least further away what was irritating them. So that is itself a problem, but now they are getting even more blacks right in their midst, and this was just too much for them after all their struggles.
0: So now again, back to the, the main question. So how do the people you talk to think this is going to evolve as, as we move ahead?
2: Well, let me tell you a little bit about what happened. In terms of the violence, from what I understand... The blacks also were not just chucking rocks, there were shots fired during this encounter. Now the police used rubber bullets, apparently also against the whites, but there, were, there was live ammunition fired from both sides a bit during this fight. They told me that there are blacks with AK-47s who were present during the fighting. And there were shots fired. So as I mentioned, there are all these other little groups that were around, milling around. And these whites and blacks were having other miniature firefights all around this area. And I was told as well that the whites were also bashing up the vehicles of the blacks. They attacked cars and taxis. In the same way that blacks have done, blacks have destroyed Tens of thousands of vehicles in South Africa during their riots and their stuff. Mm -hmm. So this is the first time that whites were taking vehicles, smashing their windows, attacking them, and they were blocking the road with stones and tires. And during these things, that is when other injuries took place. According to the news media, there were about six people maybe injured on the black side, but... It's hard to say exactly how accurate any of these reports are. I think that there was possibly at least one death on both sides, at least one. So Mm -hmm. this got very violent, and people were doing – and there was even a point where blacks were trying to lure other whites into places where they could attack them. So there was a lot of stuff going on for hours on end. And the guy told me that on Friday night – this fighting took place right through the night into the next day and i honestly could kick myself that i didn't travel there immediately i should i should even have gone the next set, the next day on the saturday because the whole place was was quite chaotic and there was a lot of damage even when i went there you could see where they'd been burning tires in the road and you could see the physical damage to the road from the whites Mm -hmm. burning the tires. So, in terms of how it's going to turn out, the whites have agreed to step back. And they've said, okay, their elected white representative of the DA has promised to do something over the next two to three weeks. And they will sit back and watch to see if the DA does anything. If they don't, The one white guy said to me, then we're we're going to kick that DA person out. We're never going to vote for them again, and we will attack them again ourselves. So they are very unhappy, and they are determined to do something. Now, one of the other consequences of this event was the following. This is the first time that I've heard of blacks leaving an area because they were afraid of whites. Apparently, Uh, half of those new blacks that came in, that the whites were physically attacking, apparently half of them left in the week after the fight. So, when I got there, a bunch of them had already pulled out. So, how's that?
0: Pretty amazing. If you're saying that's the first time, they've done it.
2: First time. That's good. So, that was very good to hear. And... I was very delighted to, to hear that for the first time blacks have retreated out of an area. Exactly why these blacks came here, there was talk that they came from some distant place where there had been some problem with buildings and and there had been some uh, caving in of of the houses they lived in or something in a place called Jefferson and so the ANC had brought them here. but. That is as much as I can understand of the reason why they came, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, so oh so yes. How, how
0: many? How many uh, whites are involved totally in in this sort of uh, defense movement? Would you say down there,
2: Alex? Dozens
0: or hundreds or
2: it definitely stretched into the hundred because it was anything from a hundred and fifty to two hundred whites who were milling around. Because the whites from their various houses, they were moving in. It depends on which violence at which time as to which whites were where. The other thing they told me as well was that they were calling in for reinforcements. And there was a security company in Johannesburg that I still want to try and get hold of. But there's a security company in Johannesburg that had said... The owner of the company had said he would send people through if it seems like the whites are losing and things are going wrong for them. Then these whites also were calling on other whites in other areas. And another suburb nearby, they reckon that there is something like 6,000 white men who used to be in the army and they are armed. And they had said that if things go wrong for the whites in Dasport. They will get their rifles and they'll come and they'll start killing blacks. And then the other thing that I heard was that they claimed that three and a half thousand whites from the eastern part of Johannesburg, which is a blue collar area, that about three and a half thousand whites had said they were on their way. They were going to come and join them. Now the problem, of course, if people say, oh, a thousand said that they're coming to help us. You don't know how many will actually arrive. My personal experience is that when people pledge that they're going to do something versus what they actually do, you can divide <laughs> it by 10 or even 20 and you'll find the real yeah. amount. But even if a tenth or a twentieth of those number did arrive, even if a hundred white men armed with rifles did pitch up, this could have turned into a real bloody thing.
0: So... Well, Jan, explain to people, how far is Johannesburg, where one of those forces, the security company, is? How, that's like 30, 40 miles from Pretoria? That would be How far a, from the action is that it? That would
2: be about an hour's drive. So that would be okay. about... How
0: seven, many kilometers, I guess? You... I would
2: guess about 60 or 70 kilometers. Coming from the right. East Rand, it would be about 100 kilometers.
0: Okay, so not a terribly long distance, but not something where you're going to show up in 10 minutes from now either. Yes, exactly.
2: But clearly they were calling for reinforcements, and they also were making preparations. There were other groups that they had agreed would come and help them if there are problems in the future. So this whole event did cause them to set up lots of other contacts with other whites. So that's good.
0: That is good. Jan, so these people who live in this in this Darsport, most of them would be working during the day. Would, would they be working in downtown Pretoria or something? How is Pretoria laid out?
2: Okay. The most important thing about this is that I was correct about these being blue-collar type people. These are people who are blue-collar workers. This is not your office white-collar type people. These are more people who were motor car mechanics, electricians, uh, plumbers, that sort of type of person. Some of them are people who've been driven out of their jobs and now they do a bit of work by themselves and they get their own customers. So they work for themselves. So that is the kind of people that live in this area. I took some pictures of the houses. They're not particularly great looking. And you would say they are a bit lower lower than middle class. These are the whites who are feeling the pain of the collapse of white South Africa. They've lost their jobs in large numbers. And when I was in the white squatter camps, lots and lots of these technical type whites, guys who can do fitter and turner work, plumbers, car mechanics, auto electricians, all those kinds of things, especially in the motor trade, huge numbers of whites lost their jobs. And they now fend for themselves by finding a bit of work here and a bit of work there. So they're well, struggling.
0: Jan, you, Jan, you've mentioned to me in the past that you think one good aspect of whites being maybe displaced is that they are starting to develop that kind of home or what we sometimes call cottage industry or part-time self-work doing this motor kind of trade. Why, I think ma- many of your listeners in America wouldn't understand quite the relation between blacks and whites in the U.S. might be somewhat different because like a lot of the U.S., there wasn't any slavery and <coughs> whites ran their own, like like my German ancestors would have run their own farm. They didn't have any slaves or black servants, but... in South Africa, when you guys built up the whole economy, you're kind of like little kings with all these black house servants. So that a much – like in the the American South, there might be a plantation owner who had the level that was maybe closer to the average sort of South African down there once they they had the blacks come in and kind of take over all the menial tasks. Maybe you can explain that and and that change with the seeding – Uh, political power to blacks and how that changed kind of the setup between the races. Absolutely. In non-political ways, in economic and social ways, as well as the overt political stuff that we know about.
2: Yes, absolutely correct. Alex, the whites of Southern Africa used to have multiple servants. In the days of colonialism, when I was a kid, it was quite common, even in Rhodesia, for the average white person to have for the average white family to have three blacks working for them. They'd have a black gardener, they'd have somebody doing the cooking, somebody cleaning the house. They'd, they'd, they'd be able to afford two house servants easily and in apartheid South Africa it worked exactly the same way. So they would easily have two or three people working for them and on the farms you'd have dozens and sometimes hundreds, even thousands of blacks working for one farmer. That's the way it used to be 20 and 30 years ago. But that transformation over the last 30 years is enormous. It's absolutely unbelievable. The whites have had to change in ways that they could never imagine. And the whites have had to get rid of their get rid of the of the blacks that they employ for all these other tasks, because the government started by putting up laws for minimum wages. And even like in the suburb where I've been living for 20 years, when I moved into this suburb, my mother used to stay in my house, and she would sometimes have little yard sales of second-hand clothing, and she'd make... Good money out of the blacks in the area who come to buy second-hand clothing from her. And over the years this eventually came to a standstill and I asked my mother why are there no blacks buying from you anymore and she said to me it's because all the whites have got rid of all the blacks. So something like 90% of the blacks who used to work in the suburbs for the whites and who often had rooms in their backyard where they could stay. About 90% of those blacks lost their jobs. So there are millions of blacks who used to do menial work in the white suburbs of South Africa. Millions of blacks who lost their work. Now, what you get are what they call peace work, where the blacks come and one black will do work for about six different whites. And he'll come and work for a day or half a day and then he goes and works for the next white. So you must know it's a huge difference from having, say, three blacks per family to you now having one black one day a week. And so millions of blacks have lost their jobs in that way. And the whites have had to start adjusting. They've had to start becoming like the whites of Europe and the whites of America. And I think it's an excellent thing. Another thing that has happened is that the younger whites, who long ago used to do office jobs and stuff like that, you now find young white guys doing the kinds of work that blacks used to do. I've seen young whites in paint shops and hardware stores and all sorts of lower level jobs that used to be blacks only type jobs. And so you find the blue collar side of whites is starting to grow. Those who can get formal employment. But then you have the older blue-collar workers who did motor car repairs all their lives and they are now without jobs and they have to start doing their own thing from home. Now, in certain parts of Johannesburg and Pretoria, there are some suburbs where if you drive through them, you'll just see... Every second house, sometimes every house, has got signs up and it shows you, ah, here's a lawyer. There's a nursery school. People are taking their homes and turning it into their business. And many of these are whites who've lost their jobs and the blacks have driven them out due to affirmative action. And these whites are now starting to run businesses from home. I I do work from home now since I lost my job at the bank. And across the road from me is a white woman who also left the airline about nine years ago. And she's been running a business from her home. And she's got three or four employees at her home. So this kind of thing is growing all across the Johannesburg Pretoria region. And I see it as a good thing.
0: Yes, it is a good thing, and I think that's absolutely fascinating. You've given us a great thumbnail of the economic and cultural and mental transformation, as well as the simple political transformation, which we okay, they transferred power from civilized whites to blacks. It reminds me of what, I, what a guy used to say to me, "There's no such thing as cheap labor." Uh-huh And so the pri- the price you pay when you, you know you, you have all these black servants, is, well, guess what, buddy? Uh, ultimately one day these guys are going to take you over and you're yes. going to find yourself in a terrible position. But you know what? Is another guy used to say, who I believe was a, a National Socialist, only he is lost who gives himself up. Only he who gives himself up is lost. You're in a bad situation, but you know what? You guys can come back from it. Absolutely, our race can come back from it. And what you're describing is whites responding to the new circumstances with solutions. Because wherever the white man is, things are going up around him. You know who said that? Robert E. Lee said that.
2: Oh wow! Wherever
0: wherever the black, wherever the black is, wherever the black is, things are going down around him. And wherever the white man is, things are being built up around him. Alex, whites are making things better. So you're making things better. You're making lemonade out of this mess and we just because we made a mistake in the past or our ancestors made a mistake we don't have to repeat it in Alex, the future
2: that is as true today as when lee said it and i'm a huge fan of general robert e lee that is as 100% true right now because if you go across south africa now the entire corporate world where the jews and the super rich and the English and even the, the Afrikaners, the Boers who were very rich, they handed their businesses over to blacks, literally, because they had to. Because the government forced them to employ a certain percentage of blacks through affirmative action. So everywhere, everywhere you go, when you go to, to shopping centers, to big businesses, to banks, to insurance companies, you'll see everything is black. You'll see the majority black is there. But if you watch it for long enough, you'll also start seeing, yes, it's in decline. It's in decline. And then meanwhile, there are these whites who are busy doing their own thing in their backyard. And little by little, their things are building up. And that to me, I I would refer to it almost as the Europeanization of the whites of Africa. Because, like you say, the whites used to have the servants. Now, also, those servants sometimes either killed you or many, many times those servants would open the door to let the criminals come in who will rob you and murder you. That has happened all across southern Africa. So, and the other thing also, the blacks with their violence and their protesting... They also destroyed their own jobs because they were pushing for higher wages. You'll see the blacks continuously want higher wages. And people don't seem to realize that there will never be a time when the wages of the blacks are high enough. It, it never stops. When I was at the bank and we'd get our performance appraisals and our annual increases... Among the things that I complained about was that I got a 1% salary increase the one year and a 2% increase the other year. The blacks who worked in the same department, if they didn't get 6%, then they would pack their bags. Even with a 6% increase, they'd pack their bags, they'd resign, they'd leave. And there were blacks who would get 12% salary increases when i'm getting a 1% salary increase and the blacks would say what 7% this is junk i'm not working for this now because of that kind of attitude over the years millions upon millions of blacks have been losing their jobs due to automation so as much as the rich and the jews were busy were busy kissing black ass they were also out of financial necessity, bringing in automation all across South Africa. Now the mines of South Africa used to employ millions of blacks. Millions of blacks used to flood into South Africa from far beyond South Africa's borders because the mines were such a lucrative place to work. They would come, they'd work here. And these mines started investing in machinery and techniques to automate their stuff. So over the last 20 years, it's not just whites who've lost their jobs in vast numbers. Blacks have lost their jobs in even greater numbers. If 800,000 of the 4 million whites are unemployed, the blacks have lost their jobs possibly by the tens of millions. If you had to see how many blacks are employed today versus were employed 20 years ago, Huge numbers are now unemployed. Of course, there are lots of blacks who got the lucrative white-collar upper-class jobs. So they now sit at desks and they love it because they're now managers and they they get to do management. Mm -hmm. But what I'm interested in and what impresses me is the move of whites to blue-collar stuff and what I'd call the Europeanization of the whites. It's changing us completely. And I think this transformation is the best thing that could ever happen to us. I think it's absolutely wonderful.
0: Yes, and do you talk these ideas over with your fellow white South Africans down there? What do do they think about it? they see it the same way you do?
2: Many people just like to complain, but I keep pointing out the positives to them. And I say to them, look at this, look at that. Some people are endlessly negative. But there are some who are more positive and who have a much better attitude. But there's still far too much negativity. And people need to... You know, Alex, right in front of your face, despite all the black and white politicians saying, we need to merge together, we need to work together, we are dependent on each other. They used to say these things. The reality of the last 30 years is actually that the races are pulling apart. Despite all this liberal talk, the physical reality is that the two sides are pulling apart. And the blacks have managed to seize the huge corporations. And they and the liberals and the super rich are stuck there. But the rest of the whites have split off. And so this is actually good a physical separation is actually the bigger part of the story that people never talk about.
0: So even though we think that they're all mixed together now in fact they're they are apartheid still exists sort of mentally and culturally and even physically it's just that it's within the same space now it's a different arrangement but it's still like Still you don't there. see yourselves as part of the same people.
2: You know, I see you,
0: what you're saying, yeah.
2: You know what's also happened? Like in this neighborhood, there are whites who were telling me that they've got blacks who live among them, but those blacks are not the majority in their area, and those blacks have to behave themselves. So even though I've got lots of non-white neighbors all around me, but... I've also had some run-ins with my (laughs) neighbours and uh, things are taken Mm -hmm. care of, you know. So it's not to say that just because they're on your doorstep that they now are in charge of you. No, no, no. This is where the whites in a particular area can still take care of their security and stuff like that. That is still happening. And a big thing that happens here is, for example, the anti-crime initiatives. If you drive around my suburb, you'll see cars driving up and down every now and then, and it's either a security company or it's neighborhood watches and stuff like that, because crime Mm -hmm. is a big thing.
0: Well, Jan, how did the cops respond to the whites destroying black property?
2: Well, I was told that one woman was was going to be arrested. In all that fighting on that Friday the cops were going to arrest a woman but then they withdrew charges from her. So to my knowledge there were no further charges placed and if there are any charges placed on these whites I would think it is utterly utterly grossly unfair because blacks do this all the time. They do this all the time in South Africa. There are so many strikes in South Africa and all kinds of boycotts and strikes and illegal activity where blacks suddenly take to the roads and they start doing things and, and interfering with people. These things are so common that if they take any action whatsoever against the whites, it would be grossly hypocritical and grossly unjust because blacks by the thousands have attacked places and torn up parts of cities. In, in last year, in the university campuses alone, they destroyed over 600 million rands worth of property. That was the last I heard. And you never hear, never hear, that any of those blacks or the black organizations are prosecuted ever. That doesn't happen. So if they take any action mm-hmm. against the whites then that is even more reason for the Whites to get irritated.
0: Okay, Jan, well, this has been a fascinating uh, summation of this, and I suppose we can go back to it if, if more happens. Was there anything else that we haven't brought up and discussed for this edition of Team White related to this gat uh, Gatfall battle? Perhaps you could uh, d- conclude by explaining the concept of gat oh,
2: Yes, yes, uh, it's, it's spelled gat but we pronounce it gat so, hotful is when you are fed up, but it's like when you are fed up to the point that you just can't take it anymore, and it's it's like the being so fed up so that you, you're on the edge of rebellion.
0: Yeah, and so we took, we seized in calling this the hotful revolt. Spelled G A T V O L L, right? And in I guess Afrikaans, Afrikaans or Dutch, like in German, the V is pronounced as an F. So. And I guess the G is pronounced more or less like an H, at least in this instance. So like heartful, like heartful. Yes. They've had a heartful of this, and they're revolting. They're repaying the blacks in kind for the misery they've inflicted on the civilized white areas. Absolutely. And this has been our, our second report on it, and we're going to continue to report on it. Is there anything else to m- mention at this time?
2: No, there's nothing else to mention except that there were, maybe I should just talk about this a bit, there were some of these whites who now say, oh, it's so bad that the whites are descending to the level of the blacks. And to those kinds of people, I have real problems with those people. Because, first of all, they sit there and they criticize whites who tried to do something. All these people who are armchair uh, armchair generals and armchair commentators, they can sit and criticize people, but not one of them will get up and do anything. So I always am in favor of action. Whoever has the guts and the balls to take any kind of action in the real world, I support them. And to now say, oh, you're going down to the level of the blacks. Hold on. In this current multiracial Jewish liberal world, that is actually not what the society is. Everybody accepts across the globe that all people are equal, whether you agree to it or not, whether that is the case or not. And as I see it, whatever the blacks can do, Why should it be that the blacks have all the advantages and they can always do everything and whites can never take action? Whites are always on the defensive, always retreating, always have to give in, always have to give up their property. This is how it's been for decades in this country and in other countries. And I don't see that this should continue. I'm completely opposed to that. And I hate it when these people come out, these whites, and say, oh, you're descending to the level of the blacks. No, that is the culture of this country. Accept it and live with it. And the other thing, I saw a guy, there's a very nice email that did the rounds this week, that came from the HNP. The HNP is, to my knowledge, the only white political party in in this country that was ever honest. They actually told the truth all along. And hardly anyone bothered to listen. But the HNP, the leader of the HNP, wrote an email about President F.W. de Klerk. And he wrote this email in Afrikaans and he said, Listen, you completely caused mayhem in this country. The things you did unleashed things on this country, the likes of which are unbelievably chaotic and he said you Mr. F.W. de Klerk you didn't prevent a a bloodbath you didn't prevent a bloodbath your actions have ensured that the future will be a future of a bloodbath that is the only future that we have and this entire mess is your responsibility and he ended it by saying Mr. F.W. de Clark, you should never show your face in public again. Keep out of it. You've unleashed this mess. Now the rest of us have to live with it. And that is my viewpoint, is that the common whites have had to live with the absolute mess that was created by scoundrels, people who were traitors to their own kind, who lied to their own people. And now those people want to call the shots? Shut up. This place is a mess now, and the rest of us have to deal day to day with this mess. Somehow, we have to find a way to live and to pull ourselves out of this mess.
0: Exactly. That's wonderful and very well said. And, you know, I want to underline there that, A, these people went through all the legal channels for months. This is only the result of a a last resort, as you would say, and, B... When you strike back, you know what that causes? It produces mental health in you.
2: <laughs> because
0: whining and niggling and raising your finger, that only goes so far. It's wimpy, it's backward, it's reactive. But when you start taking aggressive measures to defend yourself, you get, you get mentally healthy, and your display of courage attracts whatever courageous element remains in the white population. And that is the very, it's not just a good thing. That's the very best thing. That's why team white exists. You know, and I saw an article talking about DeClerc and betrayal of the country. And he's saying, oh, whites are at this rate, they're going to be gone in 50, 60 years. Yeah, if they think and act like you, DeClerc. But if the common white man comes to his senses and realizes, I have everything I need. I do not need any forced political association with Jews or coloreds or the blacks they used to destroy my kind, then I'm on the psychological road to regaining my freedom and my territorial sovereignty. And that is exactly why Team White exists and why we bring you these reports.
2: Yes, Alex. And the other reason that this is so important is psychological The blacks are used to acting like the spoiled brat babies that they are. Every time they're unhappy, they break something, they burn something, they set something on fire. Oh, goodness, they also killed three people in the process. And that's how the blacks of this country have been reacting all the time. But nobody hears and nobody's listening when the whites are saying, we're unhappy, we're unhappy, we're unhappy. And ultimately, even with these blacks that you go to negotiate with, with the police, with the government, do you think that they really take you seriously if you just come there and you act like a wimp and you just wimp away? But you know what? When they see whites getting up and showing physically how unhappy they are, that is a very, very important thing. It'll make those lazy bastards who are the leaders of the country, it'll make them, A, take note that these whites are seriously unhappy. And the other thing is it's the first time that the blacks start perceiving, oh, wow, these whites, they are really, really unhappy. And maybe we must be careful not to stir them up so much. We, through our actions, are making them unhappy. And I think that whites showing their anger... This is a good thing. And like you say, it's healthy. It's mentally healthy. And you stop all that feeble crying and that wussy type of approach to life. You show a little bit of manliness. You show that you are a bit tougher and that sort of thing. I think it's excellent. Chatfall means that you're fed up, fed up to the point where you can't take it anymore
1: ons Niemands erfenis terug.